This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Super Train, Episode 1. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that's going off the rails. <laughs> I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I'll give you something that's real in a second, but I do like that every sort of... I, I, I looked a little bit into the different reviews and things on this, and every single one has to have a, like a train pun. I think you just have to. You gotta. Yeah. Super Train demands it. Yeah. Off the rails. That's that's the easy one. That was the... I just was like, yeah, easy, simple. Yeah. But I'll lines. give you two things that are real. Two lines of dialogue from the show, <laughs> and you tell me what you like better. The first one, sprinkle that over your liver. That was one that I liked. Okay, good. And then the other one was they were talking about this lady, and they said, she's the kind of girl that reads cornflake boxes. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that meant she's dumb. I I think that's what that meant. You know what I think, Jordan? Shut up and go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. That line is said like 10 times. Uh, There is, I mean... I'm sure we'll talk about it slightly, but there is a sequence where the joke is an abusive husband yells at his, at his wife five or six times, and it's just supposed to get funnier and funnier yeah. every time. And he then does she it. goes at one point, "That's all you ever say is shut up and go to bed." Then he goes, "Shut up and get to bed." <laughs> and it's like, what a hilarious piece of a domestic abuse. It is funny. Uh, I mean, it's not funny. It's amusing how offensive that scene reads in 2021 it is tough to watch because that character and, and maybe credit to the actor is very scary and yeah. like you would he's a big dominating you man feel you feel very afraid for this woman but what you're watching is supposed to be a light-hearted comic moment where you're just like this is way too dark you guys yeah yeah you are genuinely afraid for this person. Yeah, it's... Uh, and they're also like, but isn't it kind of hilarious? Well, I mean, we're going to talk about... We're talking about the show Super Train. That's yes, the show we're yes. talking about. We you really know, got off the rails there. Hey, right? we, did, <laughs> we did get off the rails. This was a train that just kept going full steam ahead. Yes. Um, do you think at the time this tone was sort of all over the place? Like, Do you think uh, viewers... You're, you're 12 years old. You're watching Super Train. It's 1979. Do you think... Do you notice these sorts of things, or do you think it's just par for the course? No, I think this is just the uh, the yeah. atmosphere, the I culture you're probably of the time, right. unfortunately. Yeah. Would you have made it through two commercial breaks, though? Uh, this show? Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> I know. I thought the same thing. Uh, but yes, um, we're watching Super Train. We're watching it. It was suggested by a listener on Twitter, at mm-hmm. Raka uh, on the go. Oh, yeah, classic at Raka. Um, and this is a real, I don't know when Love Boat came out. But I think that's what they're going for here, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think this is this a sort of like Love Boat style program. Yeah, so every episode, I'm going to assume there's a different cast of characters yes. on this train and a different adventure so. of some sort. Yeah, I, I would say that, especially since the plot of this is centered around the passengers more so than the crew of the actual Super Train. Mm. And did you had you heard of this show before? No. Yes. No, but it seems like a winner, doesn't it? Brand new to me. Doesn't it seem like a winner? It seems, it seems like it's going to go the distance. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, after we watched the first episode. The first, we'll go off that. First episode was a, it was a rough go. 
it's a like it's a double episode. We're only talking about one episode because yeah. it's a, it's a feature length version. But I did feel like it only had the plot for a regular yes. length version. I thought the same thing. But here's what here's the thing, and we'll get into it. How would you even cut this down? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it would be hard. like you think, oh, I'll cut out some of these subplots, but like, I don't know if you can. It's still pretty long, I think, and I think you could cut some subplots. But let's hold on before we yeah. get into yeah, it, yeah. Jordan. Let's talk about Super Train being on the air. It's aired on a- NBC. It's mm-hmm. airing from February seventh to May fifth, nineteen seventy nine. Ooh, not long. Did not last a very long time, and. Jordan, let's just have a quick look at what's happening in the world during Super Train. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, 1979. I'm, I'm there. Here's what's happening. February 8th, Philips, the tech company, demos the uh, first compact disc CD to the oh, public. Oh, that's a good one. So a uh, CD's coming out here. Oh, yeah, yeah, Philips. Uh, March 19th, C-SPAN launches. Mm, no C-SPAN before this. Interesting. Yeah, because there's, th- there's only probably, what, three major channels on TV at this time. Yeah, probably CBC, ABC, CBS, CBS, NBC, sorry, NBC. and ABC. CBC's Canadian. Yeah. It's definitely on the air, though. Yeah, it's on. That's on the air. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, March twenty eighth, the uh, Three Mile Island nuclear meltdown occurs. Which one's that? I don't know if I remember. Three Mile that. Island. It's the New York. Uh, oh meltdown. right. Oh okay. It's the Amer. It's the one in American soil. Yeah, I call it the Patriot meltdown. The Patriot meltdown. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, you're a real patriot. <laughs> <laughs> very uh, very good of you. <laughs> yeah, that's not nice. And then April 1st, uh, Iran becomes an Islamic Republic following the Iranian Revolution. Yeah, and it was all uphill from there. Everything was good. <laughs> uh, oh, no, uphill? Is that the... Well, anyways, th- things were much, I mean, I think much it, better. I, <laughs> yes, things have gone fine. Yeah. Not a just devastating thing to happen to anyone. Yeah. You ever see pictures of uh, uh, Iran in, like, 1978? Like, it's oh, a it co- looks like it looks like a nice place to it live. It is a completely different yeah. world. It is uh, I, like the Iranian friends I have who came here, whose parents came here. It's like bizarre. Like it, it's truly like a switch got flicked and yeah. like it just turned back time. Classic Ayatollah, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oof. Oof. Yeah. Anyway, Super Train doesn't delve into any of these things. No, this is this is Super Train probably made it worse for people. Yeah, this is a show that I mean, we should say like I think this this is a, clearly an expensive show. I think the model train work is really good. Best for, part of the show. For, for 1979, I think the model model train works really good. Um, sets look great. Yeah, sets look good. I think the actors are eh. The writing is eh. I think these are... Let's stop for okay. one second. Let's say... Let's I can't. Get, I'm so excited. Let's talk about the summary and we can talk yeah, okay. about the show. Okay. We're all over the place. We really are off the rails. Yeah. We <laughs> Here's the Iron <laughs> summary for episode one. Express to Terror. Yeah, a great title. It's got a point right there. It's got a point right there. Uh, I wouldn't call. I would have never titled this episode this. No, no, no. Express the terror, but yeah, no, but it's a great title. Great title. Super Train makes its inaugural run from New York City to L.A., but a murder, a mob assassin, and a case of mistaken identity threaten to derail the journey in a feature-length pilot episode. That's pretty good. Oh, that's actually yeah, that's pretty good. I think that got everything in there. Yeah, it's it's a it'll lure you into thinking this is going to be a much more concise episode. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I think I don't know if I wrote it down. It takes about 15 minutes to get to the plot, which is there's going to be some sort of attempt at an assassination. It took 15 minutes to get there. So the first 15 minutes is set up, which is fine, but it's achingly slow. Yeah. Well, we start right off with the with the origin story of Super Train, which is done in like a heartbeat. <laughs> but uh, the federal government has contracted the Trans-Allied Rail Corporation to build the first continental railroad. 75 years. 75 years. Yeah. It's going to cross the country in 36 hours. Yeah, because it's an atom-powered steam machine. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
this is this company is run by a man named Winf- Winfield Root, and uh, his shareholders are not happy about this uh, contract he's taken. They do not believe that trains are the future. In fact, I believe they, at the shareholders meeting, one of them says, "Your psychotic fascination with railroads is going to ruin this company." Well. What do you think the uh, organization, this company, how does it work? Because it seems like there's a bunch of shareholders, but he's clearly the head of the company. He's a real Rockefeller style. But he mentions at one point, he's like, well, I'm going to be dying in a few years, so I don't care what happens. Well, that's my favorite part, is this this shareholder's like, you're going to destroy this company with this fool's venture. And he's just like, I have I have less time to live than the fingers on one hand. I don't care if I trash this company. <laughs> it's bizarre. I was, I was like, ballsy move, my friend. Yeah. Drag this company to the grave with you. Oh, and I should just say, I'm while we're talking, I'm pulling up the characters, uh, the characters' names in this because I think I got maybe an hour in and I still didn't know what, what anyone's name was. There's so many people. In yeah, this we'll, show. we'll get into it. We cut from this scene where they announced they're going to build this atomic-powered steam engine, this super train, and uh, we cut to 22 months later, it's all built. And I'm like, what a turnaround! I know that was. Uh, 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 maybe the biggest science fiction turn of this is that in that in less than two years, it's done. A it's railway done. across the country and a super train. I'm is assuming, built. yeah, they built they've actually built the actual railroad. Yeah, yeah, and super the train, train is like double the size of a normal train, so you need a yeah. special railroad. Um, can we just mention that real quick? The, so the super train is very futuristic looking. Mm-hmm. Um, very sleek, very sleek, very aluminum. But does it have two stories? Oh, yeah, there's an elevator. I know, that was the thing. It has an elevator. But, but it only goes it, up one story. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, because when I look at it from the... It didn't really look like it had two stories. No, I think I think the, I think your problem is you're thinking of the super train too small. It's actually quite large. Mm. Like, when you see that, it, like, a regular train is probably half the size, both in width and height. Oh, that makes sense then. Like, right. I think that it's, like, super size. Like, if you tried to put a it's train a name, on those then. tracks, it wouldn't work. Right. Because yeah, you need to be able to build a super track. The scale is kind of a thing that like takes a little bit of working. You do see they have built like a life size version that's in the uh, New York subway that's right. sta- or train station, and that's the only time you get a real sense of scale. And it is, I believe, two stories, and, like okay. quite double wide. Yeah, because it is weird because there's a scene where, not that it's that important, but someone takes an elevator. I was like, wait a minute. I know there's an <laughs> elevator on the super train. I was yeah. like, there's only two floors though. Yeah, but there's also what is in there? There's a gym. Yeah. There's a hair salon. There's a pool. There's a uh, an entire medical bay. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they sort of have a character. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, d- uh, David is it? David Dave Noonan? Noonan. Dave Noonan, and he's sort of um, kind of a comic relief, kind of like your introduction to he's passenger relations. Yeah, so he sort of walks through the train, so we get a sense of the geography and all these things that Luke mentioned. But his main character trait is um, he's looking to get laid. Yeah, I mean his subplot, which we'll never folks. talk about again, is throughout the episode. Uh, the granddaughter of the rich man, uh, Winfield, she's also riding the first train. And the second she sees this doe-faced man, <laughs> she's like, well, I'm going to have sex with you. Yeah. And the rest of the episode is just the crew trying to stop Dave Noonan from having sex with his granddaughter. And so it's constantly just like, there's literally one scene where they get on an elevator and start making out. And somehow one of the crew pops through the roof of the moving yeah. elevator to be like, uh, uh, uh. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, and that's it. Like, she has no character other than she wants to have sex with this guy for well, they reasons. Just keep, they just keep cutting to little scenes where they, like, bump into each other, like, let's have sex. And someone's like, no, why don't you not have sex? And then, like, the whole thing wraps up with the end <laughs> when they get to L.A., Winfield gets off and he's just like, Dave Noonan, my daughter wants to come back on the train. You take good care of her. And we all have a good laugh. Yeah. 
Um, so that's one plot line that could have been dropped. That it, instantly, would, it, it it's like it from hurt. a sex comedy, but it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, but it's also not because it's it's as tame and PG as possible. Well, they just never get very far with it, so it doesn't yeah. doesn't get too graphic, I guess. But it, it's very weird. Since this is Love Boat adjacent, as we've said, it's very similar to Love Boat. There are a lot of guest stars on it. Yeah. And they'll be the core plot. And to your point, Jordan, it's tough to figure out which ones are important when yes. we get started. So I'm going to go through all of them because basically train's waiting. Some old man comes and announces first first outing's coming. And like the guests on this train swarm it like it's black a Black Friday sale. People yeah. just pour through the doors. They can't wait, door, wait to ride Super Indian. And we get introduced to... All kinds of people here. One of them is uh, one group is the basically the Hollywood elite has shown up. So uh, maybe I'm dumb. I didn't understand who these people were and what their relation to uh, relation to one another was for quite a long time because they kind of just keep bumping into people and there's people like I need this part or something and you know, I'm like what is happening I need money and I'm like I don't know who any of these people are. Why are they talking about these things? Well, the the Hollywood elite circle is uh, producer David Belnick. Who's a very, very much a um, what's his name? Uh, Robert um, Robert uh, Evans, sort of Robert character. Evans. Character. Yeah, Thank played you. by George Hamilton. Played by George Hamilton. Yeah, and he's sort of there with an entourage of hangers on, one of, including one guy who's only important because he'll later die, which is a uh, a director named Brad, who is his favorite director. <laughs> wears a cowboy hat for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barely gets a line, and uh, he is being pursued. This producer is being pursued the whole time by a talent agent named Lucy, right. and she's riding the train. Because she's desperately trying to get Belnick to cast her client, Karen Prince, in his new movie. Um, and Claire, uh, Karen Prince is also referred to as Miss Situation Comedy. So I guess she's trying to branch out. Right. And if Lucy does not get Karen this part, she's going to drop the agency. And so Lucy needs to save her relationship with his client. Yeah. That's but her it's whole so thing. unimportant. Well, what's crazy is Lucy and Belnick basically fall out of the move out of the show so does karen we will rarely see karen even though mm-hmm. we're introduced right at the top is like this is the big thing get karen this part what's more important about these hollywood people is that karen is traveling with her alcoholic jealous husband rick I know. who is more of a character and to keep rick under control lucy has hired him a grown man to be his chaperone a man named mike post who is our protagonist. So imagine all of these story plots and you come down to like the main person on the story is the guy hired to make sure the drunk husband. See, that's what I didn't understand. I didn't understand what Mike was there because he's like, you need the money. But if you don't do something, I'm going to have money. I'm like, wait, is he trying to be an actor? I don't know. I didn't understand he was the chaperone. Like it was a line of dialogue I must have missed. Yeah, no, he and there's some indication that like he's just hired to be Rick's friend and keep him out of trouble. And the only reason he's been hired to do this is Mike needs to get to L.A., because he owes a mobster named Big Ed $40,000, and Lucy is... he's a, he, a gambling debt. Yeah, he's got a gambling debt. And Lucy, the agent, has promised if he keeps Rick from ruining the casting deal, she will pay his gambling debt. So yeah. that's what Rick needs to do. Is yeah, the, the, the casting Mike, deal is, so, is worth so much money that if she makes... She's going to make a ton of money anyway, so like 40000 is not a big yeah, deal. Yeah. So if Mike can just keep Rick out of trouble, he'll get $40,000. Oh, and I should mention that Karen Prince is played by Vicky Lawrence. Oh, the uh, the miss, miss sitcom. As as you would know, remember we mentioned Mama's Family. Oh, she's from Mama's Family. She's the star of Mama's Family, who I believe I actually called Sherry Lawrence, which is a huge mistake because that's Lamb Chop. But uh, but it's Vicky Lawrence. I have a feeling that this is too far removed from my knowledge of celebrities, but I have a feeling most of the guest stars in this are were probably yeah, real I'd, movers and shakers. I didn't really recognize many of them. Uh, like I knew obviously George Hamilton and Vicky Lawrence, but. Like, I don't even really recognize, like, Mike Post was played by Steve Lawrence. Someone else might recognize him. I 
didn't. Who is who's Rick? Who is the hu- jealous drunk husband? I don't know who that is. He just, he just looks name. like a dude that'd be in like what 1970s. What's his name though? Uh, is, is it was it Jack? Jack? Fisk? Rick, his name's Rick. Oh, Rick. Rick oh, Pince. Oh, uh, played by Don Meredith. And I feel like Don Meredith is somebody, but maybe I'm insane. Anyway, there's all these. These are all just guest stars, but they get the primary plot, and I'm just gonna mostly talk about the primary plot. But there's also that's a good idea. There's also this sort of secondary grouping of people who will come and go from the main plot, and it's the uh, this this couple who's traveling together, Jack Fisk and Cindy Chappelle. Yeah, and Jack. All we really learned about off the top is that he's recently had so much plastic surgery that no one should be able to recognize him, but he's so concerned that they might, he's going to stay in his compartment the whole time. I also missed that. And that's why he won't leave his compartment. I just thought he was like a bum, because he basically, he's only ever wearing like an undershirt with suspenders, and he sort of walks around growling and says nasty things to his girlfriend slash wife. I don't know what uh, the relationship is. It's probably a girlfriend. Is. They're never really clear. This is this is Cindy Chappelle, and um, she she's the one who we get to watch be specially abused for 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah, and it's not fun. No, very uncomfortable to watch. And also, she has, she has been asked to play the role as if she's Margaret Robbie playing Harley Quinn. Yeah, very, very. I, I'm like these are the same performance as Harley Quinn. Yeah, there's this, there's this thing. I was actually thinking about it. I don't. I'm assuming it's kind of like, uh, not a trope, but it's like a style of character you don't see much anymore. Which is like she's kind of dopey but lovable, but talks in a baby voice the yeah, whole time. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It's odd to see. It is. It is very strange. And they'll like keep coming back to this couple we won't when we talk about this but mostly what it is is anytime she comes back to the compartment which he won't leave he will either threaten to hit her or hit her or hit her yeah and at some point they go into like they never really explain how why or how she's there but at some point he'll be like you're it's like remember what your dead brother ernie told you before he died to stick with me yeah i was like what yeah there's some sort of like they implied at least what i took was that he was friends with her brother and sort of her brother was like you should date this guy because i know he'll protect you so she sort of did go with him even though the guy is abusive i think that's what they're playing but it was a weird line of dialogue to like to like build this relationship so i guess to explain why she's with him because i think even probably at that time uh when this show aired people would be like doesn't why didn't she just leave because he's terrible but yeah anyway all the guests have arrived there's this whole cast of super trained people who will come and go like of like yeah. colleagues at some point they even like introduce they're like hey here's our lineup of porters who look like they would work at hooters and you're like oh is that what the, like this is going to be this weird hooters girl thing yeah and, and what's his face they never, they never come back yeah dave noon is one point he's like chest out that's what i like to see and they're like oh, oh yeah he's, you. he's like a boss that uh should not be working there. yeah yeah anyway Everyone's on board. The train's about to get ready to go. They boot up the supercomputer that runs the atomic the atomic yeah. engine. And the plot gets started as we see a mysterious set of hands activate a dynamite bomb in a briefcase. Yeah, so that's 15 minutes in. And we're like, I guess the express to terror has begun. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, Mike, the man with the gambling debts, he finds this briefcase immediately in his compartment, does not recognize it, and passes it to what I would say is probably, other than this Noonan character who we keep cutting back to, the only other crew member we see a lot. Yeah, it's like a bellhop. Yeah, a porter named Boone. And Boone will just keep popping up perpetually in this episode. But he sees Boone, he's like, this isn't my briefcase. Do you want to see who it belongs to? And Boone takes it. We're like, oh, like, okay, I guess now the bomb is like somewhere on the train. Except we'll cut back a few scenes later, and Boone's like, I can't find the owner, so I've returned 
to give it back to you, Mike Post. And it's at this point, Mike Post has met up with Rick, his charge. They're both drunk already. Yeah. They've gone out onto the deck on the outside of the train. So I know, which is weird. They're standing outside of the train that's traveling, and I was like, all right, I need to do the math. They're going to get to from New York to L.A. in 36 hours. This train is arguably traveling at 124 kilometers an hour, <laughs> or for our American listeners, 77 miles per hour. So this train is flying, and they're just out on the deck, like, well, hanging out. And where was the deck? Was the deck on the front or the back? I think, I believe it was the back, because okay. what happens is they're like... Maybe it's blocking a little bit of the wind. It could be. The The briefcase is returned to him, and he's just like, I, I couldn't find out who it belongs to. I don't know how hard Boone tried, but he's like, I'm giving this back to you. At this exact moment, for some reason, Cindy, the abused girlfriend, has left the port. She's sort of seeing the train. She has a meet-cute outside now with Mike Post. They're going to find love. Mm-hmm. and yeah, It's she, clear from the beginning. And as they're looking at this briefcase, they're like, well, let's open it up and see who it belongs to. And then the train jostles. It falls off. And Cindy, for some reason, is the only one who looks out at the briefcase as it explodes in the distance. Yeah, well, there's another thing. I mean, you just have to sort of buy it because it's a, a plot point in the show. But I would assume... With the size of the explosion, they all would have heard it. Yeah, but she's the only one who notices. Yeah. And you would think that at this point she's like, she's like, I think that briefcase exploded. And you would think at this point everyone would just dismiss her. But for whatever reason, Mike hears this and he's immediately like, oh, no, it must be Big Ed trying to kill me for that 40K I owe him. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no indication really at that point. Because I think he's had maybe one phone call and I think he has a few more phone calls where he's he keeps speaking he's just to. He's begging Big Ed to wait for him. Yeah. And there's no indication that the guy is going to physically hurt him he's just like i need the money when you get in yeah, yeah. that's it so they're like the, the it's a bit of a leap of logic that he would for some reason kill him along the way because he still wants the money and he theoretically is coming with the money he just needs yeah. to keep ed so like why kill him from doing anything uh but essentially this has driven home more because mike and rick the next day in his babysitting duties is like hey let's go up to the gym let's take a nice sauna <laughs> yeah uh, i know you were drunk last night and really wanted to punch that producer in the face but let's calm you down let's get you a nice sauna going yeah they go in and of course the mysterious assassin reappears and uh as you do uses a screwdriver to take the handle off of the door to the sauna yeah well i just know from watching tv that anytime someone goes in a sauna that means they're gonna get caught in there yeah yeah he turns up that heat and yeah. they go to get out and they grab the doorknob and it falls right off and they're like we're gonna die in here and they would if it weren't for the Porter Boone dropping by to drop off glasses of cold water. Yeah. And he, like, turns to the big beefy trainer who's working. He's like, hey, I think those guys are dying in the sauna. And it's so funny because the beefy trainer's like, he goes to the door. They can't open it because the handle's falling off. He's running around. Mike and uh, Rick are in there banging on the door trying to get out. And Boone just reaches down and picks up the doorknob that fall off and just puts it in and opens yeah, it for Yeah, just them. opens it with no problem. So they could have done the same thing on the inside. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. But I also, yeah, like, the 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 tension is entirely absent from the scene. I mean, well, it's supposed to be played comically, but it's Well, that's, well, that's the, my point. At the very end, they're like, they get out and they're all, they, you know, they're very hot and they're like, they're uh, dehydrated or whatever. And then the guy's like, you guys want a glass of water? And it does music to indicate that's the joke. Wah, wah, wah. Like, and you're like, what? I should also say, this music is hilarious through the show. It's wonderful. I mean, it's very funky. 
It's very, very funky the and whole time. Everything's just like, and you're like, oh, wonderful. There's, yeah. a, there's something happened. So Mike and Rick now both believe there's an assassin after Mike, um, but Mike won't tell the staff of the Super Train yet because yeah. he doesn't want that. He doesn't want to cause a ruckus yet. And Super Train apologizes for the misstep with the uh, sauna by giving them free tickets, I guess. Yeah, they sort of have like a, oh, there's nothing wrong with the train, so yeah, keep quiet. We'll, we'll, comp, we'll comp you this, this particular yeah. thing. Um, Mike has noticed, though, as he's been wandering around this pack train, that a man dressed like a blues brother seems to be looking at him a lot. He looks like an extra from, like, a mob movie. He's got his sunglasses on, dark kind of slicked hair kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, and he's walking around all sketchy at all the times. And a bartender, they ask a bartender, he's like, who's that? And he's like, oh, that guy? His name is Paco. Like, <laughs> I don't know what he does, but I'm afraid to ask. When we were watching um, Outcasts, what was the name they called the one guy and his name was Patrick? Oh, Patrick Baxter? Yeah. Uh, I don't What was it? What was the short form of Patrick Baxter? Pack. Pack. That's All right, what it was. So it wasn't quite Paco. Anyway. Similar to Paco. Yeah, if, yeah. You had, if you had a third name at the end, <laughs> Patrick Baxter, <laughs> Baxter O'Sullivan. There you go. Anyway, so this gets them all freaked out. They're like, oh, he must be dangerous. This, this bartender's implied as much. So Mike... Rick and uh, Mike's Mike's new love interest, Cindy, the abused g- girlfriend, they hatch a little plan because the train is stopping in Big Rock, Arkansas to do a little ceremony for its inaugural run uh, because that's is not important. But we get to learn uh, Winfield Root grew up there. So he's back. He's back to rub it in their faces. <laughs> yep, Yeah. There's so much of that like stuff where you're just like, why are you telling me this? It doesn't add anything. It doesn't like add any color to it. You're just like, OK, you're just going to see Winfield and his great mustache. Yeah. So what they do is uh, they go to the ceremony and Mike Mike seeks Paco, of course, watching the ceremony. And so Mike's like, I'm going to head to the train station building and Paco seems to be following me. I'll pretend to go to the bathroom in there. And what they've done is inside Cindy then lures Paco toward an extremely oversized steamer trunk. Yeah, it's like a whole thing. She's like, I can't open it. Yeah. At first, she talks about like, do you want a cigarette and all this? And then, yeah, she basically gets him to lean over this. Yeah, he opens it and he leans over the big yeah. end. He's like, there's nothing in here. At which point, Rick, the abusive husband, or the not abusive, the alcoholic husband shows up and pushes him in. And they lock him in. They're like, we did it. We got that assassin off the train. And they hop on. The train leaves without Paco. Uh, Mike Mike calls up Big Ed to him. This is my favorite part. He's like, so they, what they've done is they think Big Ed's man's trying to kill him. So he gets on the train, immediately picks up the train phone, calls Big Ed, and apologizes for throwing his man off the train. And Big Ed's like, what? I I don't have anyone on the train. I just want your money when you get here. And they're like, uh-oh, who is that? And uh, She's who, a traveling salesman. Yeah. The, he, the guy gets out. He's like, his life is ruined. He's like, all my samples are on that train. I'm trying to get to a big conference. Now how am I going to do it? I'm just like, oh, so they just ruined this man's yeah. life. And it is a weird thing because, again, all these things are played for laughs. But I'm going to assume it didn't even land when this aired. I just don't think – I don't think they're as funny as the show thinks I don't it think is. so. And, like, we're – I'm powering through this plot as quickly yeah. as I can. But, like, this is happening at probably minute 45, this plan is, like, coming into place. And at this point, you, you're having so much trouble tracking what even is the plot of this yeah. show. Well, that's the thing. You're tracking all of these characters. Are they important or not? Which I know sounds weird to say, but, like, there's there's too many. So you're just like, I don't know if I should have paid attention to this or not because they all have some dialogue. It takes a while because off the top, you're introduced to about seven yeah. to eight characters that you think you need to know about. And the only ones you need to track are Mike. Not even really Rick. Rick's just hanging around yeah. with Mike, but he's there the most. As you don't well. really need to track Cindy, really. And Cindy just comes and goes, and you, yeah. we just know Cindy's in peril and needs to follow. And like Mike and Herm are following in love, and eventually she'll be saved. I like later on when we they introduce us to like a character who 
vehicle. I think he's the conductor, who the guy who's driving the train, and he yeah. has this like soliloquy he gives about like how fast the train can go. But they introduce him at like hour twenty, and I'm like, why am I just meeting this character? And like, why do I care? And does it matter? Not really. No, no. Uh, it's kind of weird because they do, and it's funny. Uh, this is jumping back though, but when you watch the opening credits, the opening credits are all for the guest stars, and mm. then at the end of the opening credits, it suddenly says, "Also starring the Super Train Crew." And so it feels like what it is is like they know, I guess, Love Boat style. There's a small number of crew who are going to return every week. Right. So they're trying to give each of these crew this moment, but all their moments are just like randomly interspersed and like you can't make high. Like, I, like, it's like, what is this guy's job? I guess he's the driver. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, not important. We'll move on with the plot. This trio now that they've thrown, uh, thrown this man off, they now have a real debate about like, what are they going to do? Is there really an assassin? Like, are we imagining it? Mm-hmm. And once again, while they're having this debate, Boone walks by, this time with his own steamer trunk, and he just walks by and he's like, Mr. Uh, Mike Post, is this your steamer trunk? I just found it somewhere. And he just happens to walk by at the exact moment that the assassin, like, has a, a silenced pistol and opens fire on Mike, and they just all, like, it all hits the yeah. steamer. They never know what happened. Nobody's ever aware of this next assassination. Only the audience gets to know yeah. another assassination attempt happened. Until they, they look and they see the bullet holes, I guess, eventually later. But, I mean, the thing is, you're right. It doesn't even really matter, though, because Mike's still at this point. Like, I don't know how much more confirmation he needs. If you're on a train and someone gives you a suspicious package and that package explodes and then you make it out. You get and then saunaed. You, you get saunaed. Uh, I'd be like, okay, well, something's funny here. Like, I don't even need the third thing, which he doesn't well, see. Well, this was so funny. It's like they add this third thing, suddenly introducing the fact that he could have shot him at any moment. And then he, because like, the assassin just, like, now attempts to shoot him, misses, and then gives up on gunplay going forward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. That night, there's a big disco at the club car. Yeah. Now, this is important, Jordan. Yeah. And, of course, Mike and Rick are hanging out there, getting drunk, me- meeting former football players, uh, Al Roberts, played by Fred Williamson, mm-hmm. which I was like, oh, I'm always happy to see Fred Williamson. Um, and Cindy, of course, is back in her in her car. She's gotten in trouble with her abusive boyfriend, Jack, because he, when they were at the ceremony, he was looking at the window of the compartment and saw her hanging out with some men, and he's not into that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is when he smacks around, but it's unpleasant every scene. Every scene. And he's just like, I don't want you going to the disco tonight because I don't like it. And she's just like, okay. And then she like, sits in the, apart- the, uh, the, court- the uh, compartment for a few minutes and is like, that sounds like fun. I think I will go, actually. So she just leaves and goes to the party. And, of course, she goes there, meets meets Mike, and her and Mike, like, find a corner of the party to, like, chat up. And, like, their, you know, their meet-cute continues. And this is, of course, Jack notices she's left. So Jack storms down to the disco, and he finds them in the corner, and he's just like, Cindy, I demand you come back to our compartment right now, or you're in trouble. And then he just walks away, and Mike's like, uh, why don't you just stay with me instead? And she's like, okay, I won't go back to the apartment. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, this is not going to end well for her, right? Right. But she does get this, like, fun. We get a montage of them dancing disco and drinking. and her Everyone and has a good time. Her and Mike are just making out, just, just going yeah. for it. Yeah, Mike, it's a weird thing because we as a viewer are supposed to just inherently like Mike. He's, the, he's our star. He's our protagonist. Yes. But he is also really hard making the moves on a lady that he knows is kind of in an abusive in a very bad place yeah because like i think he convinces her to stay after seeing like she could be in trouble if she goes back if she doesn't go back then they make out and then we cut to her going back to the compartment to jack's house and jack like full-on punches her in the face yeah like that's the thing it's like he's 
he's got this bit of the white knight thing where he's like, I'm going to help you, but it's like, you're doing it for your own means. It's not like I'm going to get you out of this abusive relationship. He's like, but also then join this relationship, which you don't know anything about. Well, he's just like, let's make out, yeah. and I'm just still going to send you back to your compartment afterward. <laughs> and anyway, uh, the, she goes back, that happens there, but the disco's kind of wrapping up, the night's ending, and uh, Mike goes to find Rick, who he's supposed to be babysitting, and Rick is sitting at the bar with the bartender. They're playing dice, and Rick is $1.26 million in the hole to yeah. the bartender. Yeah, the, the the game seems to literally be just like, guess the number? Yeah, it's like, and Mike's like, maybe we should go back. He's like, and Rick's like, nah, I'm going to play again. He's like, double or nothing. And he rolls the dice, and he's like, I don't know, did I win? <laughs> I'm like, what is happening here? But it's mostly just so that Mike can go up. He's like, oh, I'm going to go up to get some air back on that deck where the the deck on the train where you can stand yeah. outside, which is next to the pool. And as he gets up there, the assassin this time, like, blackjacks him, so he's unconscious tosses him into the pool to drown mm-hmm. except thankfully for mike the club car where the disco's happening has a window into the pool yeah it's very much like you're at a uh, zoo and you're uh, you've gone underneath so you see can see penguins. you can see the penguins from down low yeah it's one of those and of course rick sees his buddy like floating in the pool but he's too drunk to realize that something bad but the bartender has his wits about him so the bartender dives in the pool and mike is once more saved from his assassin yeah. which is assassination attempt number four correct yeah, this will be number four yeah and uh Mike finally, at this point, tells the staff that he thinks someone is trying to kill him, and he's like, I am locking myself in my compartment, and I'm not leaving to LA till we get to LA. That's my plan. Mm-hmm. No, no more assassinations. So he goes in, locks himself in, and as soon as he does, his boss, the agent Lucy, pounds on his door and says, well, you've been in here for 10 minutes. Rick immediately walked away, and he's, he's threatening to beat up that producer because he suspects that the producer slept with his wife last night? Yeah, yeah, and you're not doing your job very well. So Mike is like, all right, I'll go stop him. Mike steps out of his compartment and just immediately bumps into Rick. Rick's just walking by, and Mike's like, Rick, don't beat up that guy. And Mike's like, I know. I was uh, I was angry and jealous before, but I realized my wife didn't sleep with him. Let's go to the bar and get some more drinks. Yeah. They walk into the bar. Immediately. Belnick, the producer, is standing at the bar, and uh, Mike's like, is this okay? Are you okay to be in this bar? And Rick's like, of course. I'm not mad anymore. And he just walks over, punches the guy in the face. Mike, Mike makes no attempt to stop him. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, I guess this is a problem. And a barroom brawl breaks out. And now, to be fair, as dumb a job as it is, he does do a bad job at restraining this guy. So, I mean, like, what be like I'm like, what am I paying you for? I, you only have one thing. Don't let the guy punch the other guy in the face. And he, he just, did that. He just did it. Yeah. George Hamilton just got punched right in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, yeah, a full barroom brawl breaks out, of course. Everyone's, like, fighting with each other. And then the super train, of course, the perfect moment, goes into a tunnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everything goes dark. And we see the assassin's hand spring out with a knife in it this time. And he goes to stab Mike, but Mike is wrestling with the cowboy director. And the cowboy director gets it in the back. And as the lights come on, we now have this really weird comedy slapstick moment where like mike's groping around the back of this man like hey buddy why why are you not moving anymore and he like yeah. grabs the knife he's like whoa, 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 he's dead yeah yeah but that's actually funnier than it is in the show but that's like that's his reaction he's just like yeah. a dead body yeah and everyone like sees it and they're like, obviously everyone's like well mike killed this man yeah yeah, so he must have killed him for some reason. For, for some reason. And now that an, a murder has officially finally happened on the train, it, the super train stops for 15 minutes to allow the FBI to helicopter an agent in. Yeah. To yeah. investigate the agent, murder. Agent Quinn, right? Yeah, Agent Quinn arrives. And, uh, you know, Mike's the prime suspect. They take, him, they take him aside, and he's basically told, don't leave this train. Do you think this would have been more interesting if at the beginning of the show there's a murder? 
and then Agent Quinn is brought in, and it's him investigating all these people as a way to introduce. I mean, it's very Agatha Christie. Well, I, get I it, but like, don't you think that's maybe when we got to this point, I was also like, oh, this should have just been a drawing room murder. Like, it sh- that would have yeah. been an e- like easier way because there's going to be some twists coming up of mistaken identities and things, and like that's would have played much better if a detective was investigating it. Yeah, yeah, but, but and he's barely happened. he's barely even used. No, no. Basically, uh, this FBI guy shows up. Mike's not allowed to leave the train, which. Okay, it's moving. Don't worry. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. He is investigating Mike's background. I guess he calls the FBI and says, look into this Mike post for me. And then he immediately gets a call on the train from the Treasury Department. And the Treasury Department says, hey, we heard you've been looking into our man, Mike Post. He's an informant against the mob we had testify. And then we gave him a new identity, like witness protection Mm -hmm. style, to protect him from the mob, the identity of Mike Post. And... This so this FBI guy's like oh so this is a guy who's in witness protection yeah um <laughs> so weird we cut back and uh, abusive Jack and Cindy are still in their like compartment let me just mention something real quick though I like th- he's talked to the guy in the FBI uh the whatever sure. whatever the the, the Treasury Department yeah and he's like hey tell me about this and they're like yeah he's in witness protection his name's uh Mike Post blah blah and he goes can you tell me the real name and they're like we're not telling you that we can't give you information and I'm like but you just gave all this other inf- <laughs> no, I you know. just found out that he's in the witness protection like that's enough that you're giving it is very funny I know anyway. it's just like a very they their understanding of the inner workings of yeah. these things are don't make a lot of sense yeah but yes we cut back uh abusive Jack and Cindy are in their compartment they hear through the grapevine the grapevine being the porter Boone who's <laughs> involved <laughs> yeah. in everything that uh someone died Cindy immediately assumes it was Mike finally got assassinated. She starts to cry. Jack is annoyed she's crying, so he's like, ah, why don't you go to the hair salon and uh, be- make yourself look pretty before we get to L.A. and yeah, get yeah. out of my hair. Yeah. And she steps she steps out of her compartment into the hallway, bumps right into Mike Post. Yeah. Like, every time you step out of your hallway, you bump into the manual. Well, it's, it's so funny because this show takes so long to get to everything. I mean, you're going through this real fast. And it's, oh, I'm it's, flying. It's not the, the sense you get while watching it. But I do like in the geography, anytime they just need someone available, they're just right there. Yeah, yeah. If you think this has the, as much momentum the show, it's yeah, a, it's it doesn't. no this, momentum. This is, we, again, we're at, I would say, about an hour 15 at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're nearly done the movie. Yeah. Uh, she bumps into Mike. Which is my favorite part, because Mike sees her for the first time since he, like, made out with her at the thing and sent her home, and she got beat up. He bumps into her, and Mike's like, notices she has a huge black eye. And his his reaction is like, eh, so he slapped you around, eh? <laughs> He's like, he doesn't care. He doesn't care one way or the it's other. so terrible. And I'm just like, oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, you knew yeah. what was going to happen, and you don't care. Yeah. Anyway, the FBI He's guy- He's like, you think that's bad? Wait till you get in the relationship with me. <laughs> the FBI guy shows up, comes by, and he's like, Mike- why didn't you tell me you were part of the witness protection program? And then, like, Mike's just like, what? I'm not. I, I don't understand. I'm not part of it. And he's like, mm, they really train you well, eh? Yeah. To really not give away that you're in the witness protection. He's like, I'm not. He's like, mm, good training. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's basically, but it ba- essentially he's just like, listen, we're going to have the train stop at the next, like, whatever town or something. Mm. We're going to get you off the train so you don't get to L.A. because the mob is going to be waiting for you there. And he's just like, great. Can I bring Cindy with me? I'm in love with her. Yeah, and I like, and the agent's life. like, yeah, I don't care. Sure. Yeah, he's just like, I, I, who cares? Bring whoever you want. <laughs> Which again, I don't think that's how it works, by the way, too. You're in witness protection. You're like, but can I bring this person? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I but met yeah. this lady on the train. Can I bring her with me? I don't care. I yeah. Bring whoever you want. <laughs> Boone, you want to come? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, Mike Mike tells Cindy, he's like, listen, I'm getting off the train, and I want you to come with me. So please, l- escape with me. And she's like, I will. 
but I just need to go tell Jack first yeah. that I'm going to leave. She, she feels she has a little bit to be honorable about it. She's going to leave him, but she wants to speak to him directly. So Cindy goes back. She tells Jack, I'm leaving you for Mike Post. And uh, then Jack gives a huge speech about, like, your brother told you to stay yeah, with me. Yeah, he, he, like, makes her feel guilty. Yeah, you should stay. And she's like, oh, I guess you're right. And uh, then Mike Mike drops by and knocks on the door. He's like, are you ready Are you ready to leave? And she's like, no, no, I'm staying with Jack now. I, I changed my mind again. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, thanks, Cindy. So you're not terribly reliable. Poor Cindy. She's yeah. uh, really very easily talked into things, I guess. Which really does bode poorly for her relationship yeah. with Mike. Yeah. So Mike goes, all right, I guess you're not coming with me. Heads down to the baggage compartment to meet the FBI guy. And uh, as he leaves, back in the apartment, Jack, the abusive boyfriend, just like, this, I know what this all means now that you said the words Mike Post to me. Pulls out his gun, and I'm like, what's happening? I mean, I know what's happening. I, I can put the pieces together pretty quickly. He drops his passport on the ground. Cindy picks it up, and she looks at it. She's like, wait, isn't this the passport the Treasury Department gave to you with your new identity? Why does it say Mike Post on it? Yeah, he's Mike Post. He's the he's the real Mike Post so, all along. So so th- let me just clarify. So the whole time there's two Mike Posts. There's just, two. Just coincidentally, we'll get into it later. But I think that's the case. Yeah, it's stupid. It doesn't make a lot of sense. He's pulled out this gun, and Cindy's of course like, "You're the one who's trying to kill Mike Post all along because your identity is also Mike Post." And he's just like, "No, I haven't." cared at all but i'm gonna go kill him now yeah if you'll excuse me i must go kill him now that yeah, i know because he's here i'm now very angry at him not to the point of normal anger i'm to the point of anger where i'm going to murder someone i'm like okay no no and i don't think he's angry at him for the cindy thing i think he's just like oh i'll just kill him for the assassin and then the mob will think mike post is dead i think that's what he thinks he's oh gonna really do. i think that's what he thinks oh he's i do. thought it was that he was so angry about cindy no no i think he's because he hears the when he hears the name mike post he's like in shock he's like mm. you know what this means i guess i'll kill him and the mob will think i'm dead and so he just had a gun handy and he just had a gun handy okay anyway mike heads down as one the, does mike heads down to the baggage compartment to find this fbi guy there's another comic scene where he's just like i can't find the fbi guy let me run my hand along <sighs> this dead body is here yeah. and then like he touches the face and it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah so what we're gonna this scene is annoying but what we're going to find is the FBI real guy's dead. Yeah, the FBI's dead, and the real killer's going to come out. And we'll explain that in a second. But what's going to ha- happen 30 seconds from now is then he's going to go, Hey, Mike, take that dead body and throw it out the door. I'm like, but why did you put it in the shelf to begin with? Just for that reveal? He killed the FBI guy and then loaded him onto a bag of shelf for funsies. Yeah, just for fun. Because maybe he was like, well, it's, I don't know. There's no reason. It's, it, the reason is in this world for the hilarious reveal yeah for the hilarious the hel- this this show has two hilarious dead body reveals which i was just like <laughs> a lot of jokes are and they're maybe the best jokes on the show is when a man has been murdered yeah so the real color comes in and it is uh it's uh it, is it george boone it's former george boone what no i'm trying to re- it's it's former football player fred williamson oh it's fred williamson who we met i picked the wrong name for 10 seconds I believe it's Al Robinson or something. But we met him for yeah. 10 seconds briefly in the middle, and it's like, it was me all along. And my favorite part is they're like, but you, Mike's literally like, but you're a former professional football player. He's like, yeah, this is now what I do. Yeah, like, see, it doesn't explain why well, he's that's become the thing. It's like, I, I'm not saying it's 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 wrong to have like a minor character that you wouldn't have expected to be the killer, mm-hmm. but you have to, you have to have given the audience something so they go, oh, I didn't realize A, B, C, D adds up. Like, he should have been someone else in the mix. Yes, there should have been a reason, or you should have learned something. It can't just be one of the 86 characters we have to walk by, and you go, 
he's the murderer. Why? It doesn't matter. He just is, and you wouldn't have known it because it makes no sense. It's like, guys, that's just bad writing. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, they, as you said, the assassin has him open the big like uh, baggage loading door on the side of the train. So like a huge door opens on the side of the train. He has Mike drag the FBI body, push him off the side. He's got Mike at gunpoint the whole time, and he's got Mike standing at Mike's backs to the open door. The gun's pointed at him, and the assassin's like. Well, now they've got you right where you want. I want you. Let me put my gun away. <laughs> and I got, I, I'm like, why? Just shoot him and knock him off the train. But he puts his gun away, and then Mike proceeds. He was scared if he shot him, another suitcase would get in the way. I guess so. Mike proceeds to leap onto the assassin like he's a monkey. Yeah. He, like, latches on yeah. to his midsection. That's exactly what it looks all like. All limbs wrapped around him. Yeah, they wrestle for a while. They both go over the edge. Well, that's my favorite part is they're wrestling for a while next to the open door. And then Jack, the abusive boyfriend with his gun, he's showing up now to yeah. kill Mike. He peeks his head through the door and just watches them both fall off the side of the train. He's just like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's it. Yeah, I'll just go shut this door for everybody. Yeah. And he, like, closes the door. And what we see is Mike is somehow hanging on to the side of the moving wow. train. He is a monkey. He's like, he is a monkey. And he has not fallen off. Only the assassin has. He's now latched onto the side of the train. Yeah. And, th- and this now sets up the big kind of... Uh, money adventure uh kind of scenes where it's you know it's going to be uh what everyone enjoys a fight on top of the train which i was kind of a bummed a little bit because it didn't have the chasing on top of the train scene that i was kind of hoping for yeah it doesn't really you end know? up coming i mean kind of what happens is as a keen viewer would remember like yourself jordan the fbi guy had asked the train to stop at the next station mm-hmm. so that uh they could get mike off so you're sitting there waiting it's like well mike won't be on the side of the train for long they're about to stop but winfield walks in and the conductor is just like, we've got to stop because the FBI told us to. And Winfield's like, no, I'm the wealthiest man in America. We're not stopping for shit. Keep driving. Yeah. So Mike's stuck on the top of the train. Jack is going back. He's put his gun away. All his problems are solved. Mike Post is dead. How the mob is going to find out that he fell off the side of the train? I have no idea how he thinks that's going to yeah. get back to them. But he's very calm now. And as he goes back to his compartment, he looks out the window Hey, isn't that Mike Post climbing the side of the train? Yeah, so he does what any sane person would do. He's like, I guess I'll also go out in the side of the train and shoot him, yeah, I yeah. guess, for some reason. Well, as you know on all trains, they don't lock any of the outdoor <laughs> compartments, so he just climbs the ladder and gets onto the top of the train himself. Yeah. So then he's like, you get, it's again, it's not, it's a good idea. The actual sequence isn't put together in the most exciting way, but it's it's Mike kind of crawling to the front and, and uh, this uh, jerk face uh, boyfriend guy is chasing him. Shooting kind at of, him. Kind of shooting him and he's avoiding the shots. And so we get a thing that I think he eventually gets to a point where everyone can see him. He gets, yeah, he gets to a bar car, and they're having a farewell celebration because they're almost right. in L.A. inside. And, yeah, Mike, like, slides down one of the windows. So Mike's now completely exposed. And similar to the pool scene. Yes, they all can see him. Rick's drunk. He's like, hey, it's my buddy. He's outside of the train now. Yeah, and they can, I guess, seemingly see that he's being shot at. So they're like, we need to do something. And well, they, pandemonium just yeah. breaks loose. So like, Everyone's sh- freaking out. We should out. stop the train. And they're like... I don't know who is suggesting. Well, no, no, no. This is what happens is they're freaking out. Everyone's losing their mind because he's on the outside of the train. Someone's shooting at him. It's going crazy. Winfield walks into the celebration. He sees what's happening, and he's just like, well, I know what to do about this. He grabs the phone, calls the driver. He's just like, push it to the red. Yeah, so instead of slowing it down, they're like, let's go it really as fast, fast as possible so that – one of them will blow off, maybe? That's One or the, both will just blow off from the yeah. So they go, I, I don't know if they actually show how fast it is, but we know it goes way past what this is safe for the train because, like, an alarm it's goes it, off. It goes into the red line. Yeah, like, yeah. a little thing goes in. And 
Jack at some point attempts to stand up to shoot Mike again. The wind catches him, I guess. Yeah. And he flies backwards through a window into the bar car where he lands and someone will be like, oh, my God. He died of a gunshot wound. And I was like, ha! <laughs> so apparently, while flying through the air and crashed through the window, he, he also shot himself, yeah. and now he is dead. Yeah. They tell the train to stop now that he's dead. They go out. They rescue Mike, who's hanging on the front. Yeah. Cindy comes in, sees her abusive boyfriend's dead. It's like, great. Now I'll just now I'm with Mike, I guess. Yeah. And it's just like the end, and we get like a 10-minute denouement. Yeah, where it's like... They go out. They basically have to wrap everything up that you didn't really care about. Do you have all? Like, do you know how? Do you have all the plot wrap-ups written down? You can do it. Uh, I only know the main one. So they stop the train. It's over. They're in L.A. First thing that happens, Mike gets off the train. The Treasury Department is waiting for him, <laughs> and they're there to tell him exactly what happened between him and uh, that old Jack guy. And they explain that lately their witness protection identities haven't really been working. <laughs> And I'm just like, excuse me? I know. It didn't. But I was like, okay, so. But that's unrelated to what's happened here. Yeah. They're just saying, in general, we're, we're doing a bad job of protecting witnesses. So, I, but then they're like, what we think has happened here is Jack must have been worried about how bad we are at keeping people alive. So he bribed someone in our department to give him the name Mike Post instead of the one we assigned him. And somehow... You ended up on the same train as him. So coincidentally... It's just happenstance. The name he randomly picked for himself that he bribed somebody to give him is also your name. I'm just like, I don't understand. And like the guy's just like... the And then the treasurer guy's like, well, weird, eh? Bye. Yeah, can't you believe that happened? Yeah, what, what they're, I think, really hoping is that you've had such a good time as the viewer that you don't really think about the details because you're just like, I can't believe how what a wild ride that was. But the whole time you're like, but this doesn't... But why? Sense. That's why? the thing is, like, they should have just not included that scene. Because, like, I didn't need to think about those details either because they don't make any sense. And then they have someone come in and explain it to you and be like, you notice how everything I'm telling you makes no sense. I'm like, yeah, why are you <laughs> telling me? <laughs> anyway, that wraps up that weird why Jack had the same name. Yeah. Anyway. Doesn't really, but yeah. Then we get a series of events that we never saw. We never saw. There's the whole thing about the agent Lucy trying mm-hmm. to get Karen the part. We never saw any of that stuff happening because we were focused on Mike trying to keep Rick from getting drunk. Yeah. But what we learn is the agent may possibly have gotten Karen the part, but in order to seal the deal, she needs to leave the train station with the producer to go to a secondary location to have a conversation. But the actress is so impressed by her boyfriend getting drunk and beating the shit out of the producer. Because he's shown her that he loves her. Yeah. I can't believe you punched that man in the face. I've never loved you more. I'm not going to go with the producer anymore. I'm going to make it work with my drunk, angry husband. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so Karen fires her agent, and Rick and Karen leave. They're like, we're together now. Great. I'm like, I, I-, I didn't know anything about you, and I don't yeah. know why we're here. Yeah. And now the agent won't be able to pay Mike's gambling debts, so she Mike – has nothing. He's like, well, I, I have no money now. Yeah, and the mob's showing up, and he has nothing to do. Nothing give. to do. And Rick says... So let me just mention yes. real quick, though. Let's say everything had worked out well for him. Mm-hmm. She wasn't going to give him $40,000 in cash at that second anyway. So, like, what was I, his yeah, plan? I don't, I don't fully understand either. It no. doesn't make a lot of sense. Anyway. But he doesn't have it. Mike goes to see Rick, congratulating him on getting his wife back, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. know. And Rick's like, buddy, I had such a nice time on the train with you. Why don't I just go get you some of Karen's money? Because I don't have any of my own. I just live off my wife. I get drunk and beat up people and ruin her career. But she has a lot of money. So like he literally is like, I'll go yeah. get her money and we'll pay the 40K. And Mike's like, no, no. I would never take your money. 
I'll figure it out myself. And then Karen, the wife, comes by and she's like, hey, Rick, uh, uh, hey, Mike, you did such a great job with my husband. Why don't I hire you to be his permanent friend? And they're like, he's like, great. I, I can't wait to take this job as his permanent friend. Yeah. And they're like, we'll call you with the details. And they get it and drive away. Yeah. I was like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah. They just, they, they need to wrap things up, but they have given very little thought as to how this should be done. So they're just like, yeah, he's going to get, he's everything's good. He's got a job now. He's going to be that guy's friend. Yeah. <laughs> Your permanent job is his friend. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. And it's at this point, finally, Big Ed and the mob shows up and they're like, Mike. Give us that money. And Mike's like, Ugh, I don't have it, Big Ed. I don't have it. And uh, his new girlfriend, Cindy, walks up because they're about to get a cab. And she's like, oh, no, what's going on, Mike? And she's like, he's like, I didn't tell you, but I owe a lot of money to the mob. And I know you have bad dealings with the mob in the past, but I hope that's not a problem. And Cindy looks at Big Ed and says, how much does he owe? And like, he's like, 40K. And she's like, oh, no problem. She opens a briefcase, just full, full of, of money. stacks of money. She's millions like, of dollars. She millions has. of dollars. She's like, I think these four equal $40,000. Here you go, Big Ed. And Mike's just like, what, what, what? She's like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. This is all the money Jack stole from the mob, and it's ours now. And Mike's just like, oh, great. Well, let's let's go spend all your money on his honeymoon for me. Yeah. Also, is that how it works? You're a mob and you're now a mob informant that is in the witness protection and the FBI lets you keep all the money that you, you stole from them? I guess you didn't tell them about it. You didn't tell them. <laughs> and Anyways. it was the Treasury Department. Yeah. Right, 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 right. FBI's not involved in this. Right. Well no, the agent was from F- the FBI. That's true, but he wasn't he didn't know. He had no idea. That's true. Anyway, I, I just my favorite part of this ending is just like both Mike and Rick, two of the most useless dumb men you've ever met, are both revealed to like desperately just trying to be living off women in their lives. Yeah. And it's weird also that they they sort of just skirt over the issue that Mike has a gambling problem. They mentioned it many times. Like, he has a gambling problem. Like, a huge problem. He, he doesn't fix that. And that's not his journey. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be a better person who doesn't have this addiction. No, no. It's I just need to find a woman with a lot of money to, to yeah, solve my problems. So that we can do this again. I mean, it's working for Rick. So why can't it work yeah. for Mike? And that's pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that it wraps up the show. Like, it's just like, we're done. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. The weird thing about this pilot is in some ways... I understand what the format is going to be, and I guess the tone. But another way, I'm just like, I, I, is this enough of a show? Do you know, like, is do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like it's everything is so on the surface and so wishy washy, and it's like, like there's no tension, there's no excitement, it's, there's no character development. It moves at a snail's pace. There's no real mystery. No. It's, so, like, wh- what am I going to tune into next week? That's what I would have thought if I'd watched this first episode. I'm like, this does not bode well for future episodes. I do feel like what they're relying on is just like, and it's a problem because I don't know who any of these people are. I never watched them on the, whatever show yeah. they got famous on. But I think the part of it is just like, you're going to tune in to see a cool guest star you really like. Just do a part. Right. You're like, oh, Alan Alda's in this episode. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's yeah. like, I love Alan. Let's see what he's doing on Super Train. Mm-hmm. I will say this. Like, we talk, I, I think we've covered it all. Uh,. I am a little flummoxed because, like, coming into it, I was like, "Oh yeah, atomic powered super train, great." But yeah. I, I, I'm like, "I'm like, this is not science fiction." No, I thought the same thing. You, there's at least not in this episode. There's sure, n- yeah, maybe there's no real sense of like fantasy, which is kind of interesting because they've set up this that this is something it seems futuristic. futuristic. And but they're like, "Oh, but it's just the '70s. We're gonna have a disco on this futuristic thing." You're like, "Oh, but there's like." You guys have so many options. Like even in this murder thing, this murder plotline, you could have done something that had was related to the train in some way. And it's not 
really. Yeah. It's just like it's like oh, it's a location. It's a really cool, interesting thing, but like it's just a location. It's I mean, it's just funny because I guess we'll have to see this when we watch the show. But it really does what it is is like we're gonna have a bottle episode every episode because mm-hmm. you're just trapped on this train. Yeah. Well, I do hope there's something. I don't know, train related. That mean they're like because again, this could have taken place on a plane. This train better have lasers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. That's that's an hour and a half pilot, which felt about eighty six hours. Both Luke and I were talking before we recorded that. Like, it was tough yeah, to get through. <laughs> it's tough to get. How 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 long did the, your first sitting? How much did you get through? I managed to. Get, I did forty five minutes the first time. I did forty, and then after that, it was in five minute chunks. Yeah, mine was the same. Yeah, it's it's like I'm I'm looking like every three minutes. You're just like, oh, this is so slow and painful. <laughs> I'm trying to take notes to like figure out the plot, and because there's so many characters who just get random scenes that don't mean anything. I'm always tra- I was having trouble tracking like what's important here. Mm-hmm. So my notes on the actual episode are really long and then I had to figure out how to like condense them and like well this is only just about Mike trying to get killed. Like I don't yeah. know why there's 75 other characters. Well that's how we could get it through it. I think where this is going to be about an hour us talking about it. Um but just because we're whipping through it. Like I, again, this is not what the episode's like. It's there's so much happening that doesn't matter and it kind of comes at you forever. It does come at you forever. <laughs> yeah. So well, let's 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 rank this uh, this old yeah, what do you uh, wanna, son of a gun. What do you want to give the uh, pilot episode? Express the terror. I'm so I'm so torn because part of me wants to give it a zero, you know. But like, you know what? I'm gonna give it. It's a pilot. I'm gonna give it a little bit of leeway that they're still finding their footing. Maybe it'll be a little more interesting. But it's not good. I'm gonna give it a four to ten. Four out of ten. It's not good. Here's the thing: is I also. I'm torn. Like I like the train miniatures; they look great. Yeah, they do look great. That's we didn't even mention enough. It it looks really, really good. And I get it's a pilot, so I'm, I'm willing to give some wiggle room. It just it is too long. But I the but more I think about it, the more I talk about it, the more I dislike it. Yeah. So it's it's a tough place to be. So I'm gonna go three point five. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're we're in pretty similar. Uh, Similar places. Yeah, I, I mean, there's been times where I thought it was a six, and there's been times when I thought it was a one. But I mean, I'm gonna go three point five. I don't know how we're gonna get through this whole series if it's if this is what it's gonna be. I mean, I think this might be. We'll get through the next couple, and then yeah. we'll escape this pod. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a real fun. It might pick up. And here's the thing: there'll it, be it, a clown assassin who needs to defuse a bomb. And maybe we'll get like a guest star that we know, and it'll actually yeah. be really fun to watch them do a crazy '70s show. Yeah. George C. Scott is in this episode. Th- Honestly, can you imagine? And yeah. like you pr- we probably like this is so much fun. Yeah, yeah. I hope. I really do hope. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll what see. Happens. Uh, that wraps it up for this mm-hmm. episode. So, of course, uh, you can email us anytime you want to tell Jordan what a great job he's doing. <laughs> well, okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, emails continue drag at gmail dot com. And on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have clips from the show, atomic trains, people getting assassinated, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, you you are you pulling all the scenes where he's uh, Jack's yelling at poor Cindy? Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just really force people to watch that nightmare yeah. come to life. Uh, you can follow that. Continuum Drag is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. And that wraps it up. So thank you for joining us, listener. And we'll see you next week, Jordan. Yeah, sprinkle that over your liver. <laughs> Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.